When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to This is the Jet Life with Dan Burnham, your guide to the New York Jets sports and much more. And now, your host, Dan Burnham. What is up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of This is the Jet Life. As crazy as it sounds, this podcast episode marks the 100th episode of This is the Jet Life. Holy moly, kind of crazy to even be here. I appreciate all you guys that listen. Um, those of you that just tuned in recently that have been listening for a long time, whatever. I appreciate all of it. It's nice to have a, a platform to vent about the New York Jets on. I think I've been doing this for like three, four years, and I was trying to think of how many times the Jets have actually won in that span and how many times they've had a winning season. There's definitely been no playoffs. Nothing like that. It's just like kind of... Every year feels like an evaluation year, and we evaluate the young players, we look towards the draft, we go through free agency, we do it all again, and uh, yeah, it's pretty crazy. And originally, I wanted to do something pretty special for the 100th episode. I wanted to get, like, guests on. I tried to get my dad on. He is not trying to do anything live, anything recorded, nothing like that. He just wants to be the man behind the curtain with the ideas and the email that I read, and, you know, that's fine. we got a father time for today. I toyed with the idea of getting either some former players, current players, or getting some other people from the podcasting or Jets world on. But when it came down to it, a few things. Number one, not a great week week to do it. I mean, the Jets lose again. Not as much hype going into this week as there was last week. But also, life just got crazy. I've been at one of my college best friends' wedding over the past weekend. I was a part of the wedding, so I'm doing rehearsal dinners and stuff all weekend long, drinking, boozing, staying up late, friends from out of town coming in, friends from out of state all over, and... uh it just kind of got out of hand, and there really was no time in the schedule to try to fit that stuff in. So unfortunately, the 100th episode is going to be much like the rest of the episodes, with a little bit of flair, a little bit of a sizzle here and there. But I want to try to kind of rip through this thing, because 30 to 45, the Jets lose to the Colts. They're 2-6 and six now, and the season's kind of getting away from us. I mean, there was a lot of excitement going into this game, as I mentioned. Mike White was the big storyline, already got his jersey in Canton, Ohio, for that big game he had against the Bengals. But in this game, after his second drive, throwing a nice touchdown to Elijah Moore, he hurts his hand, forearm, is unable to grip the football, can't come back into the game. Now we're down to our third-string quarterback, Josh Johnson, somebody that we really hoped would never play. I mean, we brought in Joe Flacco probably to play instead of Mike White. Definitely didn't ever see Josh Johnson playing. He's in, like, his 17th year in the league. And he played a great game when he played very serviceable minutes. He did not look in over his head. He executed the offense pretty well. He picked up some points in garbage time to make this game look a lot more interesting than it really was, got the Jets some offense, got it moving, helped with the evaluation process, so all that was good. On to greener pastures. The fact that I've been doing these podcasts still, 100 episodes of this stuff with this New York Jets team, I mean, whew, takes a toll on a man. So before I get on to everything, I need to remind you to rate, review, subscribe to this podcast anywhere podcasts are found under the Gangrene Nation podcast title, series title, This is the Jet Life. You can also follow me on Twitter at Jets underscore Dan. So as I mentioned, 100th episode, and when this whole thing started, it was not expected to be what it is today, part of SB Nation on the Gangrene Nation platform and everything. Um, what it really was was a group of my friends. I got like you know, 10 good friends that play Xbox together, and back in the day there was even more Xbox being played You know, four years ago when this podcast started, and we were all playing Overwatch or something like that at that time, and... I'd come in Sunday nights or Monday nights and talk to everybody for the first time after the game. There's like five Jets fans in that group of people that would always be like, hey, Dan, what do you think of the game? We know that you're a diehard fan. You watch every game. You and your dad are nuts about it. And so I would kind of give them a 10-minute synopsis of what I thought happened in the game. They'd ask me questions, this and that. But there's other like five people in the party that are listening to me explain this to them. Absolutely hate it. And they're like, please don't do this here. Do this somewhere else. We don't want to hear about the Jets. We don't give a shit. And... So they were like, dude, you got to just make a podcast and put out recordings or like 10-minute videos or clips of you explaining what happened to the game. Send it to the Jets fans. That way we don't have to hear about it anymore. 
that's kind of the reason that it started. And those five people became the board of the podcast that uh, you hear about today. And so I started making them on Podbean, had about 30 listeners. I think I probably knew basically every single one of them, people from high school, people from college and whatnot. And then I kept doing it, boosted it up more and more, eventually got picked up by SB Nation. And now I get hundreds, sometimes thousands of listeners. And it's really awesome. But uh, yeah, I mean, this is not the most exciting year, not the most listeners right now, I'll tell you that. It's uh, tough to talk about, it's tough to listen to, and you know, I don't blame the people for kind of tuning it out. One day the Jets will be good, and it'll be a lot more interesting to hear about and talk about. But you know what? It provides a platform for me to vent, and that's what we got it for. And my dad, too, he likes writing his father times and putting together those emails and getting to put his thoughts into paper and everything. Um, so... Yeah, that is the sort of 100th episode highlight. Now we can get to the regular stuff. We're going to talk about the injuries, quick game recap. We're going to do the father time. We got team stats, offense, defense, special teams, what's on tap. We're going to take a look at the teams that we're hoping to lose, AFC East, Seahawks, and Panthers. We're going to do a Bills preview, and then we're going to close this thing out. So starting with the injuries, in this game, George Fant plays left tackle, which we didn't expect it. He got injured against the Cincinnati Bengals. And then because this was a short week against the Colts, it's our last primetime game on Thursday night football. There weren't really practices early in the week. And we did po- the podcast on Tuesday of last week. They were saying that, you know, even though the Jets didn't practice, had George Fant been part of a practice, he wouldn't have been able to participate. So I was kind of leaning towards thinking Chuma was going to play. But right away, George Fant's in there. And he did an all right job. So good to have Fant back. Definitely an improvement over Chuma and Doga. He's there for a reason. We are still working on getting Mekhi Becton back. He's a couple weeks from practicing, so we'll keep monitoring that. Very soon coming back, Braden Mann, who uh, we just got rid of Thomas Morstead, so very likely Braden Mann will be back for this week against the Bills. Corey Davis, he's been recovering, and it's questionable that he plays this upcoming week. Zach Wilson, although we don't know if he's fully healthy, if he's going to be starting or if it's going to be Mike White or if they're going to give it another week or whatnot. Looks like right now they're leaning towards Mike White starting against the Bills. That's what Robert Sala kind of hinted at. Tevin Coleman, our third-string running back, he's still working his way back. He's going to be back soon. Um, it's not a really important role because that was handled in the interim by LaMichael Pirine, who got a couple handoffs while Coleman's been out. But it's really been Ty Johnson and Michael Carter, and they've done a fine job in the receiving game and in the running game. Tevin Coleman will kind of give that same sort of ability out there, but not a guy that you need because both Coleman and Ty Johnson are running so well right now. Marcus May, he got injured in this game against the Colts. He's out for the season with an Achilles injury. This is an interesting wrinkle in a guy that was on a franchise tag. We didn't know if we were going to be double franchise tagging him, signing him to a longer deal, trading him, just losing him altogether. Uh, At this point, it's going to be hard to evaluate him. And now that his season's over, I think it's fair to say that this was his worst season in the NFL ever. It's a new defense for him, so perhaps it wasn't a great fit. He didn't have his opposite partner, LaMarcus Joyner, who was supposed to be there. It was Ashton Davis, and it was a bunch of, like, Gerard Neesmans and Wilsons and, you know, Redwines, a bunch of different people shifting through that uh, probably were in a little bit over their head. But he hasn't had a great season. He hasn't made any big plays. He's been picked apart a few times here and there. And you'd like a guy like him, you know, on the franchise tag making over $10 million to make some more splash plays to kind of stand out. And in the grand scheme of things, when this season's all said and done, no picks for him, no big plays, and... We'll see what happens, but I think his worth definitely after this Achilles injury has gone down, so he probably will not be franchising tech, franchise tagging him a second time. At this point, we'll either let him go or we'll sign him to a cheaper contract. I think that's basically all that's left for Marcus May. Bryce Huff, he's currently on IR for a back injury. In this game, Tyler Croft got a lung laceration. He's out multiple weeks, was just put on IR. And then Mike White, he got injured during the game. He hurt his forearm, came out of the game, and we played Josh Johnson for the rest of it. I guess he couldn't grip the football I haven't really found too much information on what, this, what the scoop was. He just really couldn't feel it, couldn't grip the football until the fourth quarter. And at that point, the team kind of determined, we're not going to put you back in the game, Mike. Josh was doing okay. The game was well out of hand. I mean, at one point, this game was 42-10. to 10, So we knew this game was a loss, even though Josh Johnson did make it somewhat interesting at the end. So Mike White didn't need to go back in. It's not a serious injury. He's supposed to be all systems go coming up against the Bills. I think a small part of me is a little bit disappointed that he wasn't able to come back in. You know, he didn't hit his hand all that hard. He didn't really have a serious injury, just couldn't quite feel it. And he's standing on the sideline, not going to get medical help. He's not going to the tent. He's not going to the locker room. He's there tossing footballs around, feeling kind of weird, wearing his helmet. 
And all throughout the game, I'm wondering, is he going to get an opportunity to go back in there and keep progressing? You know, he needs time on the field to prove that he's good, right? I mean, he's got the the longer path to playing for the Jets in the grand scheme of things because this all runs around Zach Wilson, or at least that's the idea. Mike White could become the franchise quarterback, the starting quarterback, but it's an uphill battle for him because he's got a lot more to prove. He's been cut many a times in the league. Zach Wilson's a guy that everybody wants to see. There's a certain window on the contract with Zach Wilson before you have to do a team option. And Mike White, when he gets his opportunities, he's got to be out there. And coming out that quickly after playing only five quarters in the NFL, you hope that he's not a fragile guy. We've seen him before. Some players just are built a little bit more fragile than others, and they get injured quicker. This was a situation where right away you're like, all right, well, he's out of the game, I guess. Can't go on. Can't fight through it, even hand it off or anything like that. So, um, you know, I don't know much about the injury, so it's not really my place to say that he could have played through it, couldn't have played through it. It just is like you don't want to see your guy just going down that quickly, that easily. It's not a good sign. Typically, you know, you want one of those iron horse dudes who just blasts through. Mike White's already kind of past that after five quarters. But he should be all systems go against Buffalo. We're going to talk about that matchup coming up. Denzel Mims was just placed on the reserve COVID list, so that's kind of uh, an interesting wrinkle. That happened like an hour ago. Denzel Mims did not have a good game against the Colts, and with Corey Davis potentially coming back and the depth at receiver that we have, he's not an imperative player to have out there to be successful, but you do worry when a guy gets COVID like that, one, how long is he going to be out? We don't know if he's vaccinated or unvaccinated at this point in time. At least I don't. And do other people have it? Is he in a wide receiver room where he was potentially passing it on to other people? We've seen this, you know, this virus kind of take over locker rooms and coaching staffs and position groups and whatnot. So hopefully we don't find out about more players going out of the COVID list in the next coming weeks or, you know, even this week. Um, the wide receiver group could be decimated. Who knows? Luckily, it's a deep group, but... We will keep posted on that. So that's the injuries that we have in this game. All right, so now we're just going to do kind of a quick game recap of what happened here. The Jets lose 45-30. to 30. It was embarrassing for sure. The defense was absolutely obliterated in this game. But Mike White was the big talking point coming in. His first drive, he got the ball moving nice and, uh, nice and slow the way he had the previous week against the Bengals. He started the game with a six-play drive, 27 yards, moving it downfield, eventually had to punt. You're like, all right, we see some similar things to last week, some shades of that 405-yard game. He's just got to get into his rhythm. The Colts get the ball back. They score a touchdown right away, 88 yards, eight plays. I mean, they're moving the ball quickly, efficiently. Carson Wentz was looking way too good in this game, and unfortunately, uh, the defense really kind of kept the Jets out of it. But Mike White did his best to try to stay in the game. On the second drive, he made a nice pass to Elijah Moore, 19-yard touchdown pass for Elijah Moore's first touchdown catch of his career. He had a rushing touchdown, uh, what was it, last week. This was his first receiving touchdown ever. And Mike White feeling good about it. But that's the play that he hurts his hand and forearm and isn't able to come back into the game. After that, it is just a string of tough breaks for the Jets. They have a fumble. They give the ball back to the Colts. The Colts are just scoring on every single drive. It's touchdown, touchdown, touchdown for them. The Jets have the fumble. They get one field goal, and they're able to keep it to 10 to 28 before the half. There is an opportunity on a drive for the Jets to get the ball back with a turnover as they force three fumbles. They definitely forced two that were recovered by the Colts. It looked like there potentially was a third fumble, um, but they whistled the play dead. On that drive, the Jets were unable to recoup the ball, and that would have been a big stop for the defense because the defense wasn't getting anything. The first four drives of the game for the Colts were all touchdowns, 28 points, 1-2-3-4. The Jets needed stops bad in this game. They did finally get a turnover on downs at like the two-yard line against the Colts. The Jets weren't able to score right then. They're playing Josh Johnson at this point, backup quarterback. The Colts continue to score 35-10, to 42-10 as the Jets punt. And then the Jets start kind of coming to life offensively. Uh, Josh Johnson does a nice methodical game down the field. He runs a little bit. Some decent rushing from the Jets, Michael Carter and Ty Johnson. Some good receptions from guys like Elijah Moore, who had a great game, Jamison Crowder, Keelan Cole. Even the tight ends got involved in this one a little bit. And they made it interesting. They got 16 points, 23, up to 30. And they ended up losing this thing 30-45. to 45. When the game was over, the Jets had the ball at the six-yard line with like 45 seconds left, down 15. And technically, had Josh Johnson been able to punch it into the end zone and made it like a one-score game, an eight-point game with 40 seconds left, there is a scenario where the Jets could kick an onside kick. They'd had one, actually the drive before, that was a pretty good-looking onside kick they weren't able to recover. But had they done that again, gotten the ball back, 
there was a scenario where the Jets could have potentially come back and tried to force overtime. I mean, I know the Jets got obliterated in this one, but not for nothing. The Colts were definitely feeling a little like at the end of the game, well, what's going on here? Let's not get too close. This is getting a little bit, you know, percentages for the Jets are going up. They went from 0% to like, there's a 7% chance they could win this game now. It didn't end up happening. The Jets lose and they fall to 2-6. and six. So there's a lot of negativity around all that because the team is 2-6. and six. When you're supposed to have a new coaching staff, you got your new quarterback, a bunch of new players, draft picks, you're hoping to see the team be better by now. It's been a roller coaster ride. They beat the two best teams that they've played this year in the Bengals and the Titans. They've lost to the worst teams that they've played this year, all other six. They have a tough matchup coming up against the Bills. They're in a kind of in-between place with the quarterback. Are they going to play Mike White, who's really exciting right now and leading the offense better than Zach Wilson had all year? Or Zach Wilson, who's the exciting cannon-arm quarterback who we just invested a lot into and want to see what he's got to develop? There's a lot of moving parts here. I will say that this is one of the most fun 2-6 and six teams that you could possibly have, at least for Jets fans. We've had a lot of 2-6 and six teams, 1-5 and five teams, whatever, over the years that are just a real bore to watch, miserable to try to tune into. This team has excitement right now. We have two potential quarterbacks. We've got some young guys playing really well. We talk about an evaluation year. The guys you're evaluating are the younger guys. You're not evaluating Josh Johnson and Thomas Morstead. Who cares? Those guys are moving their way out of the league. No offense to them. They were great veterans, but their time has kind of come past its peak. You're looking at those early career guys. Those Elijah Moores, the Denzel Mims, Michael Carter, Michael Carter too. Last year's draft class and this year's draft class primarily. And a lot of those players are starting to show up big for the Jets. AVT looks great. Elijah Moore's getting better and better every week. Michael Carter looks like he could be one of the better running backs in the league. So tons of stuff to be optimistic about in that respect. The quarterback situation, also very exciting. On the other side, it's such an inconsistent team, and they can look so bad at times. And the defense can play a good game, but it can get absolutely dissected and picked apart with the zone defense. If they can't get a pass rush and a team can rush on them, they can't do anything. And with Zach Wilson, you're turning the ball over a lot. With Mike White, it's a lot of short, dink-and-dunk passes. It's difficult to win. You're hoping to see some more improvement from the Jets. I think, you know, I specifically thought that this was going to be the year the Jets would get close and be towards the fringe of the playoffs without making it. Next year would be the year that they were, like, really trying to crack that group and be a playoff team. Right now, you're looking at, like, yeah, they could win maybe four or five games. They've got some, some easier games coming up, but four or five games, that's still pretty far away from playoffs. The Jets are going to be one of the worst teams in the league when it's all said and done if they can't turn things around with Mike White or Zach Wilson, whoever it is. So for that reason, it's kind of disappointing to watch. You know, you like to see your guys win. You root for your coaching staff. You root for all this. Then the negative media around the whole thing, just listening to the Jets beat, listening to Jets Twitter, whatever website you're on, gangrene nation, people complaining about coaching staff, general managers, draft classes, yada, yada. It becomes kind of tiresome, exhausting, and, you know, it's a lot of extra noise that you don't really want to have to hear when you're trying to watch your team develop and get better. So it's a tough time right now for the Jets. But there are potentially brighter days ahead. As I mentioned, we've played a lot of tough teams already. We do still get to play teams like the Jaguars, the Dolphins two times, the Texans, the Eagles. And in reality, every single one of those teams is looking at the Jets as like, hey, that's a game that we can win. The Jets won't win all of them. But there will be some opportunities for the Jets to play good football against teams that are kind of at their level. And we've seen when the Jets have a good day, they look good. When they have a bad day, they look horrible. It's just a roller coaster ride of an inconsistent young team that hasn't quite gotten it yet. Maybe it was too much of a high against the Colts. You know, they had beaten the Bengals and they were coming in feeling good. My dad's father time really mentioned how the Colts had been beaten down by the Titans and they were a dejected team. The Jets were feeling great about the win against the Bengals. But in reality, the Colts rebounded really well because they're built through veterans, a veteran coaching staff that's been there, a lot of players who have been around, not the youngest team in the league like the Jets. And the Jets, yeah, they got really excited. Maybe got a little too big for their britches. And we've seen it from the Jets over the years. Every time there's like a weird week going on, if the Jets are traveling really far or they have a bye week or it's a short week, they always seem to perform worse in those situations. And you'd hope with a new coaching staff with a guy like Robert Sala, those things would change. But after the bye, they got obliterated by the Patriots. Going to London, they got obliterated by the Falcons. Couldn't play defense in that game. Then this one, a short week on Thursday Night Football, Smoked by the Colts. Those are basically the three worst games the Jets have played this entire season. So the team still isn't preparing right. It's a young team. That's a big part of the reason why. But as time goes on, you do hope that this coaching staff and this team can kind of right the ship a little bit. We don't have any more weird weeks. No more primetime games. 
It's mostly one o'clock games here on out. I think there's maybe one four o'clock game mixed in there. But what can you do, right? Two and six, valuation year. There's plenty of reason to be optimistic about the Jets because the young guys are good and they have enough draft picks and draft capital and money. Financially, they're in good shape. So there's plenty to be excited about. It's just the same stuff that we are looking at every single year. Like, oh, we could be excited about this. Again, kind of just reset the cycle. Eventually it'll hit, but it wasn't this year. and Hopefully it'll be next year. So now before we move on, I do want to do a father time and read my dad's thoughts on the New York Jets and everything that's going on in his head right now. Four days removed from this Indianapolis Colts game. Maybe five days removed at this point. This father time written by my dad, David Burnham, is titled, It Could Happen. Here we go. Roger Staubach was the 129th pick in the NFL draft, and he won two Super Bowls after the Naval Academy and a one-year tour in Vietnam. Joe Theismann was the 99th pick, but ended up in the CFL before seeing an NFL field. One and one in Super Bowls. Matt Hasselbeck, the 187th pick, played in 11 playoff games and a three-time Pro Bowler. Some great QBs have taken less beaten paths. Do you need more? Okay. Joe Montana, 82nd pick, and is one of the NFL Mount Rushmore. Low picks can work at quarterback. History is more littered with them. Bart Starr won three NFL championships and two Super Bowls, and he was a 17th-round pick. What's the point? Mike White is the point. The 171st pick. He's done everything right. Learned on the job and blossomed into a wise quarterback that executes this offense to the tune of a 95.9 passer rating for 405 yards in his first complete game. It is beyond imperative that the Jets determine what Mike White offers on a game-in, game-out basis, and his performance has earned it. He deserves it. The other side of the coin is Zach Wilson, who's clearly struggled and needs to sit, practice, and watch, like Mike White did. Zach should have never been gifted the starting job. Now compare. Zach's passer rating, 63.5, and 57.5% on completions. Versus Mike White, his passer rating, 95.9, and a 72.7% completion. All the comparative stats are compelling. This is not a knock on Zach Wilson. Starting rookie quarterbacks is a relatively new phenomenon and not usually a good idea. The bottom line is low-picked, well-groomed quarterbacks happen. The Jets need to find out what Mike White is. Is White good, or was he good? We find that out by playing him. This Buffalo game at MetLife feels like the beginning of a new season to me. Enjoy the intrigue. Go Mike White. And let's go Jets. End scene. So, wow. Thank you for the father time, Dad. My dad's point here in talking about Mike White and comparing him to those quarterbacks and everything is that you don't have to be highly drafted. You don't have to be Zach Wilson, a second overall pick, or even a first-round quarterback to be good. We've seen plenty, plenty of quarterbacks drafted in the mid-rounds, late rounds, go on to have wonderful careers. I mean, one of the guys he didn't mention on purpose, Tom Brady, is one of the most known quarterbacks for doing that of all, right? So there's definitely a possibility that Mike White could become one of those guys. Most of those quarterbacks on that list didn't struggle for four years and get cut five times the way Mike White did. Most of them didn't have horrible preseasons with the Jets the way Mike White did. I mean, one thing I don't agree with in this is my dad says that Zach Wilson shouldn't have been gifted the job. And while I do agree that we could have had a different quarterback in to start the year and maybe sitting Zach Wilson early on could have been good for him, Mike White did not win that job from Zach Wilson in preseason in the offseason. We were all watching, following training camps and whatnot. It was Captain Morgan versus Mike White. It went back and forth every other day, and they both sucked the whole time. Zach Wilson was playing phenomenal. He had some up-and-down practices, but when he was playing in those preseason games, he was rocking. He won that job, and no other quarterback on the Jets roster could have possibly been the week one starting quarterback from what we'd seen in the offseason. That's the same reason that the Jets brought in Joe Flacco the minute Zach Wilson went down, because their body of work that they'd seen is the same thing that we saw in the offseason. Now, Mike White had been playing in practice, but it's not the same thing as a game. The real game experience they saw was the preseason games, and they were like, all right, listen, he's better than James Morgan, but we still need to get somebody else in here if something happens to Zach Wilson. When it did, they did. He comes out and plays great, lights up the world, throws stink and dunk passes for the most part, but executes the offense perfectly, beats a good Bengals team when nobody expects it, 405 yards, gets a bunch of awards, put in Canton for having uh, an incredible game, one of the best first games ever. But he has a big body of work. He's not an unknown, and he didn't win the job. Zach Wilson won the job. Zach Wilson got injured, so the backup comes in, and he played great. Now, we're in an interesting spot right here because we have two quarterbacks that are very interesting to watch. But when it comes down to it, I do think the best course of action for the Jets today is to play Mike White against Buffalo. Because one way or another, 
we're going to see both quarterbacks play. But if you play Zach Wilson against Buffalo, who's one of the best defenses in the league, makes it extremely hard on quarterbacks, especially young quarterbacks. And Zach Wilson has a bad game. It's going to be very bad for his mental state. Everyone's going to be cheering for Mike White. We're then going to have to go back to Mike White, and people are going to be like, look, see, it always should have been Mike White. It's going to be a very weird situation. If Mike White plays against Buffalo, there's a good chance that he does poorly because Buffalo is so good. And then you can be a little bit more comfortable potentially moving to Zach Wilson because if Mike White is this Roger Staubach or Joe Theismann or Matt Hasselbeck, he's not going to get absolutely smoked in these games, right? Eventually, he has to kind of do it. He's been in the league for four years. He's been cut a bunch of times. He doesn't have six more years to develop. If we're saying that he's been sitting there growing and learning and doing it the right way, and now he's a wise veteran, well, then we'll see it against a game like the Buffalo Bills. So if that happens and he plays great, awesome. If he does poorly, you can go to Zach Wilson. I will say that if Mike White plays a great game against Buffalo, you do have to keep rolling with him. You have to keep rolling with him until he fails, really. But it should be an uphill battle for Mike White because he's the proven guy. He's the guy that has a body of work much larger than Zach Wilson's through college and everything that is much worse at a much lower level than that of Zach Wilson. So it's an uphill battle for him. One big game against the Cincinnati Bengals doesn't change everything. Just like we don't now say Josh Johnson has to be on the field for the Jets because he had one good game against the Colts in the second half. It's more than that. It's about the future. It's about what you've done. It's about what we've seen, the potential that you have, the evaluations from the coaches. So I think my dad is absolutely right to be excited about Mike White, to think that he does have that potential. There's no reason to think that he couldn't be amazing. There's a small percentage in there that this guy did just have a light switch flip in his head, and now he's ready to be a great quarterback. So I'm definitely rooting for that opportunity. But I'm not as down on Zach as he is, you know, talking about the percentages and the quarterback rating and whatnot for his first five, six games in the league against some good defenses and whatnot, learning a brand new offensive system. I think that when it's all said and done, Zach Wilson will have that same flip switch at some point. And when he does, the level of play that he brings is going to be much greater than what Mike White has given us so far. And it was a great game from him. 405 yards is awesome. But I expect games like that from Zach Wilson plenty of times in his career. I'm not sure how many more Mike White has in him, but I'm rooting for him. I will still be there. My dad is a little bit more, in the grand scheme of things, rooting for Mike White over Zach Wilson. I am, in the grand scheme of things, rooting for Zach Wilson over Mike White. My dad's a little bit annoyed with what Zach Wilson has done, thinks he's played pretty poorly so far this year, thinks he's kind of been, you know, obviously given a job and in over his head, needs time to sit, learn, needs some discipline and whatnot. I'm in the school camp of, like, Mike White is a little bit more, you know, a run-of-the-mill kind of, game manager quarterback who dumps the ball off. Eventually, when that gets figured out, it's going to be not that special. He's never going to be a top 10 quarterback in the league, which is what we really need to compete. We're not looking for an Andy Dalton. We're looking for, you know, a Josh Allen or a Patrick Mahomes or an Aaron Rodgers. That's what's going to make us great. And Zach Wilson has the potential to be that. And to me, at this point in time, it's hard for me to think that Mike White does. But everything is possible. That's what we watch these games for. Some crazy stuff happened in football this week. Crazy things have happened to the Jets in the past, and, uh, you know, got to keep every single door open, every possibility, just play it out. That said, it's going to be great to have Mike White play against Buffalo to really see where he is. It establishes a baseline for, all right, this is a great defense. If you're as composed and ready for all this as you looked against the Bengals, then we should see some of it here. Anyways, that is our long kind of debater conversation about Zach Wilson versus... Mike White, thank you, Dad, for the father time. I really appreciate it, and I can't wait to watch this Buffalo game just like you. Let's see what happens. It's all going to work itself out. So now before we move over to the actual game, the team stats, and the player performances, we do have to take a quick commercial break. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Alrighty, and welcome back to This is the Jet Life. Looking at this game where the Jets lost 30-45 to to the Indianapolis Colts, when you look at the team stats, the Jets actually played a somewhat comparable game, and the score looks almost comparable, but a lot of it came in garbage time with Josh Johnson playing quarterback. I mentioned it was 42-10. to The Jets were really doing nothing to make Carson Wentz uncomfortable. 
I came into this thing saying, like, Carson Wentz is the type of quarterback that makes bad, bad mistakes. We saw it against the Titans. We've seen it for his whole career. This guy makes bad mistakes. He didn't make any of them against the Jets. I mean, the guy was sacked one time for zero yards lost, had no turnovers, and played great quarterback. I mean, he was super efficient with the ball, got it where it needed to be, picked up big third downs, threw a bunch of touchdowns, and played great football. First downs, the Jets had more. Time of possession, the Colts had it by about a minute. They were scoring pretty quickly, of course. We had 486 total yards of offense. They had 532. Ours was split. We actually had 398 passing yards in this game. That was how well Josh Johnson was able to kind of bounce back in the second half and get the team kind of rolling. We had 88 rushing yards to their 260. That 260 is ridiculous. The defense in this game was horrible. They couldn't stop anything. As Bart Scott would have said, they can't stop a nosebleed. And I thought the officiating in this game overall was pretty good. But this is not the game that you want to be playing on Thursday Night Football against the Colts. This was uh, a bummer in so many ways. One, because they got smoked. Two, the defense is not the team that you thought was really going to be struggling in this game. You thought the defense would at least be all right. C.J. Mosley, Jared Davis, all those guys playing back there. They'd be able to make Carson Wentz uncomfortable. But then the Mike White experience that you were so excited to see didn't get to come to fruition because he got injured after throwing a touchdown pass. It was a bit of a bummer, but uh, the Jets lose the turnover battle. Two turnovers to zero. They lose the game by two scores. Kind of adds up, even though a lot of the Jets scoring came late. A lot of the Colts scoring came early. We're going to move over to the offensive side of the ball and talk about player performances, starting with quarterback. Mike White played a good game in this one. He did have 121 quarterback rating, 7 for 11 in this game, 95 passing yards, and a touchdown. That was in two drives in this game. He did have a couple questionable plays, a couple passes that were thrown a little bit uh, off target, could have been intercepted. It wasn't quite as accurate, I didn't think, as he looked in that entire Bengals game. It was maybe a, a hair less accurate, but still was efficient and was moving the ball downfield. Unfortunately, even playing the way that he was playing, if he kept that 121 quarterback rating, it wasn't going to beat the Colts, rushing for 260 yards. Carson Wentz, 135 quarterback rating. It wasn't going to beat that team that was scoring every single drive. Because Mike White, we saw, didn't score the first drive. Colts, they scored the first four. Josh Johnson came in and back up, ended up throwing 27-41, definitely got better as the game went on. When he came into the game, he was a little slow, kind of like took a little bit of time getting warmed up. By the end of the game, when it was like the last quarter of the game, he was rock and roll and moving the ball downfield, scoring almost every time. The guy threw three touchdowns, 317 yards, sacked only twice. He ran for another 18 yards, a couple first downs there. And... He had one pick at the end of the game on the six-yard line. Was very close to having a four-touchdown, zero-interception stat line. That would have been pretty crazy from Josh Johnson on a Thursday night football game. Not expecting it. And uh, overall, like, the team lost because the defense was horrible. Atrocious, piss-poor, embarrassing defense all across the board. That's why the Jets lost this game. Josh Johnson kept it interesting by playing serviceable backup quarterback. That's what you want to see from a veteran like him. He came in and looked very comfortable. Rushing the ball, Michael Carter continues to get the lion's share. 13 carries, only 49 yards, 3.8 yards per attempt. Ty Johnson got 4 for 21. You only have 17 running back carries in this game. That's because, in the grand scheme of things, this game was out of hand very early, and they needed to pass the ball. That's why you had 52 pass attempts from the Jets. Only 21 rushes, 4 of them come from the quarterback. Game script didn't really allow for a lot of rushing, Michael Carter could have gotten it going, perhaps. Ty Johnson was looking efficient as well. A couple nice runs in there. A 16-yarder for Carter. But, uh, you know, when it's all said and done, when you lose the game and you're down 45-10, to 10, you kind of stop rushing the ball. 88 total yards for them there. Receiving? This is where we have our offensive player of the game and doghouse player of the game. Player of the game, no question to me, Elijah Moore. Eight targets in this game. He gets seven receptions. His career-high 84 receiving yards, his first and second NFL receiving touchdown, a, a long play at 26, two 19-yard touchdowns. He was all over the field making big catches. Last week was the best week he'd ever played against the Bengals. This week is now the new best week he's ever played. He is trending up. He's looking very good after kind of a slow start to the season, and I'm very excited about what we're seeing from him. He stepped up in this game as the most efficient player on all of offense, the most scoring points, and... Yeah, the sky's the limit for him. We're seeing it right now. Very exciting. Keelan Cole also had a really nice game in this game. Five receptions, 66 yards. He's a reliable guy. 
He's the kind of dude that you want to have as your third, fourth wide receiver because he's reliable. He gets open. He's quick. He's long. He's kind of like a big play Vincent Smith, but better. What we hoped big play Vincent Smith would be. Jeff Smith had a few catches, especially late, three for 40. Crowder had five for 38. Some catches there. Obviously, a lot of garbage time catches going in. Tyler Croft, before he had the lacerated lung, 38 receiving yards. Ryan Griffin got a touchdown in this game, similar to play to the touchdown that uh, Tyler Croft got last week. Slipped through the defense in the seam. Ryan Griffin got it there. Kind of a nice catch from him. I'm still not high on him, but it was a nice catch. Trevon Wesco had a couple catches at the end of the game in garbage time. One time could have gone out of bounds, but didn't. That was kind of a, a bonehead play from him. But the doghouse player of the game in this one, wide receiver Denzel Mims. And what the heck is going on with this guy? I mean, before all the COVID stuff, which is happening right now, which is definitely making him trend down even more because he needed to put good film out there. But he gets targeted five times in this game, has a handful of drops, gets one catch for 20 yards. It was a nice catch, the one that he had. But everything else that he did in this game, getting plenty of snaps, plenty of opportunity in these last few weeks specifically, he's not doing anything with it. And you're seeing guys like Elijah Moore, rookies coming out and absolutely taking over and saying like, hey, I'm getting open, I'm getting the ball. Denzel Mims isn't establishing himself. Instead, when he finally does get open, he drops the ball. He had a chance for a touchdown last week. He dropped a bunch of passes in this game. Denzel Mims is the doghouse player of the game. He's got to get it together. I mean, we've been up and down on him. People are always wondering, myself included, why isn't he playing more? Why aren't the Jets trying to get a way to get Denzel Mims onto the field? When you see it, the mistakes that he made, the false start, the dropped passes and things, he's not ready right now. There are a lot more players on this team Keelan Cole, Elijah Moore, Corey Davis, Jamison Crowder, that are reliable, Braxton Berrios, that when you throw the ball, they catch it. They get open. They don't make a ton of mistakes. So he really needs to start playing better. He's a doghouse player of the game, unfortunately. Then you had some receiving yards for the running backs. 40 yards for Ty Johnson, the touchdown there. You had one reception for 37 yards for Michael Carter. Not nearly as many receptions from the running backs as you'd think. Only three in this game, but they were big plays. You had a total of 77 yards to the running backs on just three catches. So maybe try to get that a little bit more impactful in the Buffalo Bills game upcoming. Overall, you know, good receiving game because we had 412 passing yards. A lot of guys were catching the ball, making big plays. None better than Elijah Moore. When you look at the O-line, I think overall the Jets ran for 4.2 yards per carry. So that's an all right number. Can't be upset with it. And then they only get sacked two times playing Josh Johnson and Mike White. So at the end of the day, when you've got second and third string quarterbacks not getting sacked, then for the most part, your offensive line is holding up. There weren't a ton of penalties in the Jets' O-line either. So I'm pretty pleased with the way they played. Elijah Vera Tucker still is awesome. I think it's pretty clear that Greg Van Roten is the worst offensive lineman that we have, and we have to move on from him somewhat soon. But what could you do at this point in time? You roll with the guys you got. We will be bringing... Uh, Laurent Duvernay-Tardif in when he gets healthy and is able to play. It's possible that he could be competing for one of those spots. You know, maybe Greg Van Roten's. We'll see what the Jets do there. But that is the offensive side of the ball in this game. Jets put up 30 points. Now we got to talk about the defensive side of the ball. And it was ugly. And because of it, we got to drink. When we drink, we do what's on tap. That is right, folks. This is what's on tap. And you're probably wondering... What are we doing for the 100th episode? Something special? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I went out and I bought Lunetta Prosecco. It is like a knockoff cheap champagne, a little three-pack of tiny bottles, 11% alcohol. This is a Brut Italian sparkling wine. It is warm because I bought it warm. It's not very good. I kind of hate it. Um, I have three, so one to roommate Kyle. He's drinking it now. One to fiance Shannon when she's home from yoga. So we can all celebrate at different times these uh, tiny little wines but really just celebrating the 100th episodes because it's a lot of recording. Each one of these things is like an hour. It's like 100 hours of me on tape talking about a team that never wins and trying to be optimistic about it, which is kind of wild. But, uh, yeah, Lunetta today. We will go back to something normal for the 101st and beyond episode. No more benchmarks coming up until 500 if you ever make it there. That is this week's What's on Tap. Now, before we move on, a quick commercial. 
Alrighty, and welcome back to This Is The Jet Life, where we're going to talk about that horrid defense that we saw. 28 points in the first four drives to the Colts, 135 quarterback rating for Carson Wentz, 260 rushing yards for the Indianapolis Colts, and probably the Offensive Player of the Week for Jonathan Taylor. Holy moly, the Jets got smoked in Lucas Oil Stadium on Thursday Night Football. We talk about the trenches. That was where a lot of the issues happened. The Colts have a great offensive line. Everybody knows that they've invested a lot in that, including, you know, Quentin Nelson, the guy that we hope Elijah Vera Tucker can eventually become. Their line was smoking ours. And it was part of the reason that the run lanes were there. It's part of the reason that we couldn't make Carson Wentz uncomfortable. And he was completing on basically every single third down. I mean, his completion percentage at one point was like 20 for 23. And they were rushing for like 10 yards of carry. And it was all happening from the trenches. The good news when you see that is the Jets are trying to build their offensive line. And they've invested a lot there. When you wonder, like, why are they doing that? It's so that they can do what the Colts just did and hopefully dominate a team the way that they did. But that defensive line was having trouble. The O-line was just pounding them. John Franklin Myers got a sack in this game, zero yards lost. Um, He was the only guy that was really getting after the quarterback. He had two QB hits in this one. Foley had one. But the Jets weren't making Carson uncomfortable. He was completing very easily. They were having huge rushing lanes. It was a nightmare at times. Now, I do think that Quinn and Williams actually had one of the best games on defense. We're going to talk about the linebackers and the defensive backs and how they didn't have good games either. Quinn and Williams is our defensive player of the game because in this game, he had the second most tackles on the team with eight. He actually had a tackle for a loss that ESPN isn't crediting him with. He tackled the running back behind the line of scrimmage. He had a couple nice plays, and when you look through the game, the Jets really had almost no good defensive plays. Very few. They almost got a couple forced fumbles. C.J. Mosley with one, Ashton Davis with one. Almost but they weren't fumbles. Quinton Williams actually made a few nice plays in this game. He probably had four or five tackles that stood out to like, wow, that was Quinton Williams. Wow, nice play there. He did have a penalty in this game, so he wasn't perfect, but you can't find a player on this defensive unit that played a great defensive game. Not one of them. And the guy that stood out the most consistently, Quinton Williams. So he gets our defensive player of the game. But the rest of that defensive line, Sheldon Rankins, very quiet. Tim Ward doing nothing. Shaq Lawson, silent. It was tough. It was tough sledding. And when you look at the linebackers, it was almost worse. C.J. Mosley had his worst game of the season. He did make a couple nice tackles, did almost have a forced fumble, but he got stiff-armed a few times. He got juked out a few times. I thought this defense looked tired. They played that big game against the Bengals. I thought the Colts were going to come into this game more tired because they played overtime the same day on Sunday that the Jets played the Bengals. But the Jets in this game, they just looked outworked. The Colts' offense was so strong. Jonathan Taylor's a, a ripped running back. Their offensive line is very strong. Our unit looked weak and not able to fight through those guys. C.J. Mosley, for as good, strong, and tough as he's looked all season, he was kind of not looking so hot in this one. He did lead the team in tackles with 10, uh, but it wasn't his best performance. Not even close. Quincy Williams, not a great game defensively for him. We're going to talk about him later on special teams. Not a great defensive game. You didn't get much from your linebackers here. Gerard Davis, who's back very, very quiet in this one as well. The Colts picked us apart. The Jets couldn't do anything. When you look at the defensive backs, not a great game there either. I mean, Michael Pittman was consistently getting open. Pascal got a couple nice deep balls. The tight ends were catching him. This zone defense that the Jets play, when a team knows how to pick it apart and a quarterback is comfortable standing in the pocket to deliver and knows what he's looking for, it's very easy for them to pick up yardage. And it's the same way that the Jets beat the Bengals last week, running that same style of offense against the zone defense. And the Colts, they did that to the Jets. They also ran, like, ridiculously well, so that was a big part of it. But the defensive backs, they didn't play great. Ashton Davis, he had 10 tackles just like C.J. Mosley leading the team. He almost had a forced fumble, which would have been a big splash play from him. Would have been good to see. But he also was out of position a bunch of times. He took horrible routes to the running back when they were, you know, Naheem Hines when he got outside on the run to the left. Ashton Davis took a horrible pursuit angle. It's the type of stuff that he does. Ashton Davis just has to get better. He really has to get better. Um, Marcus May, he's out for the season, so we'll see who ends up filling in for uh, the rest of the year. Hopefully it's like Sherrod Neesman or something. But, yeah, it's a tricky uh, tricky situation. We have to be probably mentally as down on the defense as we could be. I mean, we gave up 50 to the Patriots. We came back. We did all right against the Bengals, but still gave up, you know, over 25 points. And the Colts 45, and they could have scored more if they wanted to. There is not much reason right now to think that this defense is getting any better. They are struggling. Moving over to the special team side of the ball, Thomas Morstead punted well. He's been released. Braden Mann is back. 
Matt Amendola kicked all right. He made all of his extra points, made the one kick. He could have been special teams player of the game, but it wasn't special enough for him to get it. Braxton Berrios returned just fine. The special teams player of the game in this one, Quincy Williams, who made three special teams tackles, the first of which was an absolute rocker, messed up the return, man. The second one was a big hit, too. On TV and the broadcast, they hardly even recognized it. He came in and whopped the guy again, and then he made another nice tackle on the ankles of the return man for the third time in this game. And Quincy Williams, when you play like that, going downfield, I mean, listen, when it's all said and done, we hope to add new linebackers to this unit. We hope to have more Gerard Davis, more C.J. Mosley, and then maybe some more young guys, get Neesman in there, or Nasruddin in there, perhaps. You know, Quincy Williams is not necessarily going to be the long-term starting linebacker for this team, but he definitely looks serviceable as a backup, and if you can play special teams as well, boom, now you got your reason to be on the team, for sure. So, happy to see him playing well in the special teams game. That's what we got for offense, defense, and special teams. Now we're going to talk quick AFC East check-in. The Dolphins, they beat the Texans 17-9. They're now 2-7. Their next game, Thursday Night Football, in just two nights, home against the Ravens, 8.20 p.m. So they will lose that game, and that'll be fun to watch them getting messed up. Uh, The Dolphins are right now like half a game behind the Jets because they've played one more and lost it. But uh, we don't want to finish behind the Dolphins just for, you know, we come in last place all the time. Let's just have the Dolphins be the worst team in the division. That'd be nice. The Patriots, they beat the Panthers 24-6. They're now 5-4. and four. They beat the Chargers. They beat the Panthers. Their next home game, their next game is home against the Browns at 1 p.m. And they're kind of on a little bit of a hot streak, and they're getting better, and it's scary. They're now, like, projected to potentially make the playoffs, and we need them to lose. This Browns team is up and down. Baker Mayfield is up and down. Uh, who knows what's going to happen over there. That could be definitely a tough task for them. But there's no reason that the Browns, with the amount of talent they have on that team, that they shouldn't be able to beat a Patriots team. I'm not sure if they will because teams like the Browns just lose to the Patriots. Teams like the Jets, we lose to the Patriots. We're like in over our head against a team like this that just mind messes us up. But uh, the Browns have the talent, so beat the Patriots. And then in shocking fashion, the Bills lose 6-9 to to the Jaguars. The Jaguars are horrible. The Bills score six points. Only field goals scored in this game. Not a great game all around. The best Josh Allen in this game was the defensive line, defensive end edge rusher from the Jaguars. And in reality, it's great to see the Bills lose. I love it. Playing a bad game like this, awesome. But when it comes to playing the Jets next week, this is just going to fire them up even more. They just scored six points. They are coming with an attitude now. They are probably going to have a much better game against the Jets than they would have had had they beat the Jaguars 35-10. to They would have been feeling like, all right, maybe a trap game situation. It won't be a trap game situation. They just had their trap game against the Jaguars. It's not coming again. It's going to be tough for the Jets. The Panthers, they lost. We're following them because we have their second and fourth round draft pick from the Sam Darnold trade. They're now four and five. The Seahawks, we're following them because of the Jamal Adams trade. We have their first round pick. They had a bye. They're still three and five. Looks like Russell Wilson's going to be coming back soon. Still got to root for them to lose, though, because we want a nice high draft pick. And now, last order of business in this 100th episode is a Bills preview. Because the Jets play the 5-3 and three Bills on Sunday, 1 p.m. It's Wings Week. That's exciting. I'll be getting some J. Timothy's Wings. Some of the best wings in the world. Absolutely delicious. Going to bring those over to my dad's house. Roommate Kyle's going to be there. Maybe fiancé Shannon. And we'll see what happens. Since 2016, the Jets are 5-5 five and five against the Bills. Uh, but this Bills team this year is very good. Even though they're 5-3. and three, Even though they lost to the Jaguars 6-9. They have the 8th overall offense in the league. 11th best rushing attack. 7th best passing attack. When you look at the rushing attack, the number 1 and 2 running backs are Devin Singletary and Zach Moss. They've got 588 combined rushing yards with 4 touchdowns. More yardage to Singletary, more touchdowns to Moss. But Josh Allen, he's got 319 rushing yards of his own. You know, that's a big part of the reason that they have the 11th best rushing attack in the NFL. Josh Allen passing the ball. He's got 2,236 passing yards. That's 319 passing yards a game. The guy's got 17 touchdowns, five interceptions, and he's playing good football. He didn't this past week against the Jaguars, but on the season, he's playing well. He's got good receivers. Stephon Diggs leading their team. Almost 500 yards. He's got three touchdowns. Right behind him, Emmanuel Sanders, their offseason acquisition. 478 yards, four touchdowns. Then their third guy, Cole Beasley, is kind of the slot guy. 446 yards there. So you've got like 1,500 yards between Diggs, Sanders, and Beasley. 
Those are the three guys. That's who you have to watch. They are all capable of slipping underneath the zone. It's just on Josh Allen to be accurate and getting the ball to him. But he can also run really well, so there's a lot of stuff working against you. They have minimal involvement from their running backs in catching the ball. Not too many passes going there, but they do have a good tight end in Dawson Knox, who's questionable for this game. He's having a very good season before he got injured, and uh, we'll see if he ends up playing in this game. But he's a good one. So that's the offense. Eighth best offense in the league, right? Uh, plenty to be scared about. And when you look at their defense and what the Jets' offense is going to be going up against, they have the number one defense in the league, the fourth best rushing defense, and the number one passing defense in the NFL. They're giving up just under 15 points against them per game. That's ridiculously good. They got a really good secondary. Teron Johnson, Tredavious White, and Levi Wallace. Tredavious White is that lockdown guy, but Levi Wallace and Teron Johnson are very good players as well. Good safeties in Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde. Playmakers all over the field. They got a really fast linebacker who's real good in Tremaine Edmonds and Matt Milano, who's no slouch either. Up front, they're pretty stout. Jerry Hughes, Ed Oliver, Star Latulale. These are good veteran players. Ed Oliver's kind of young. He was in the Quinn Williams class, but that's a decent front. Then you got some edge rushers and Mario Addison, Greg Rousseau, Boogie Basham. You know, Basham and Rousseau are rookies this year, and they're going to be adding to that pass rush of the Buffalo Bills. I mean, when you have a team that's built as sound as the Bills and have as many good players as they have all over the field, you start drafting and you're just like, well, these are luxuries. We'll get AJ Panessa and maybe we'll get Russo and another guy, another pass rusher, just to see what we can get there. Rotational players to come in and be great. And they're getting a lot out of their guys. They're developing their people very well. They're building their team the right way. They're kind of doing what you hope the Jets would do. They have much more stability in their front office with Bean and in their coaching staff with McDermott way more than the Jets have had over the last few years. But they've built it through a rebuild. They got their quarterback, and they built a nice, stout team, pretty good offensive line, rushing attack, very balanced, and their defense is super strong. I mean, yeah, they're a good team. Five and three, they're probably even better than that record, and the Jets are going to have a tough time with them. I don't want to say the Jets are going to give up 45 points again, but, you know, what do you expect in this one? Maybe 30 to 10? Jets lose 30 to 10? Can they put up 14, 15, 16 points? It's possible. Could the Bills put up 50? Yeah, they could. We'll see. We'll see. It's not one that you should be super excited about winning, but it's one that you should be super excited about evaluating Mike White. Because if Mike White plays, this is a very, very difficult matchup. And if he really is one of these Mount Rushmore guys and a franchise quarterback for the Jets who just had everything click and all of a sudden it's like, whoa, he's turning it on right now, that's the case then we're going to see some stuff against the Bills that other quarterbacks haven't been able to do, especially not for the Jets. So either way, and if not, if he struggles mightily, you know, if it's not so bad, maybe he plays again. If it's a horrible game, maybe go back to Zach Wilson. Either way, you got to be excited about the opportunities for the Jets and then much easier games upcoming for them. When you look past the Colts game, we play Dolphins, Texans, Eagles, Saints, who don't have their starting quarterback now. Then it goes Dolphins, Jaguars. I mean, there's tons of opportunities in there to get some stuff going. But we got to evaluate. We got to see who's playing quarterback for the Jets. We got to watch these young guys continue to grow. We got to see this team get a little bit more consistent, get better on defense for sure, but have these offensive playmakers and stuff continue to develop and get better. And there's a lot to look forward to still, even though it's a 2 and 6 team that uh, probably isn't looking at the playoffs at this point. They probably are looking more towards next year, but there's definitely still plenty of good football left in the Jets. And. I can't wait to watch it. It's going to be tough this week, but enjoy some wings for Buffalo and do whatever you do. Have some drinks, have some, maybe one extra. Whatever you got to do to get through it. Greener pastures ahead. I still truly believe it. That's all I got. 100th episode. Thank you all for joining me. I'm Dan Burnham, and this is The Jet Life. (laughs) 